Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane. Icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to our final episode of Chasing Frets for the week. My name is Jason Shadrick, and I'm here with Andy Ellis. How are you, man? I am doing well, and boy, do I enjoy talking about guitar. And <laughs> thank you, everyone, for giving me a chance to listen to great players like Julian and ask them questions and riff about our favorite instrument. Yes, of course, and with one of our favorite players. And today, we kind of peel back the curtain a little bit on what kind of the mentorship and apprenticeship scene is like, was like for Julian uh, when he was growing up. Uh, Cause he, you know, he was probably the definition of a child prodigy. I mean, oh, he yeah. was, mm-hmm. you know, he's, there's video on YouTube of him playing with Santana at a huge amphitheater when he's like 10 or 11 or something, you know? Well, there's this movie too. And the movie. at eight. Yep. Yeah. There was eight a, year old Julian. Uh, documentary. Yeah. Documentary. Someone felt in, inspired enough by this eight-year-old kid to make a documentary. And so in this episode, Julian talks about his important uh, mentors growing up. And also one of those probably being most notably Gary Burton, who he was uh, – so Julian was one of the – probably one of the last guitar players to kind of serve in that long lineage of jazz yeah. guitar players in his bands. But what I thought was really interesting is how he reflects on – going from mentor E to mentor, mm-hmm. you know, and it seems to me that how he speaks about the lessons he's learned from all these mentors will, it, whoever ends up, you know, whoever ends up being the young kid in Julian's band someday uh, yeah. will be pretty, will be pretty lucky. Yeah. yeah. So uh, check out this uh, final episode this week with Julian Lodge and we'll be back next week. Today's episode of Chasing Frets is brought to you by Colleen's Guitars, and more specifically, their new 470JL that was designed in collaboration with Julian Lodge. It's an entirely new hollow body design that Julian and the crew of Colleen's Guitars have been working on for years. It was designed from the ground up to have the feel, tonal range, and aesthetic qualities that were exciting to both Julian and the crew at Colleen. The guitar features Ron Ellis Dynasonic pickups, a Bigsby B3 tremolo, and a unique trestle block construction that was developed by Collins. The 470JL will be released officially in January and will be available to order through authorized Collins dealers. So head on over to CollinsGuitars.com and check it out. Well, it's so great, Julian, to be back with you again and um, talk about guitar, get into the nuts and bolts, and also kind of the metaphysical side. Right which is something I'd like to explore a little bit in this episode. And the way I can frame it is to look at the importance as a young musician 
uh, developing musician mm. the importance of having a musical mentor or mm. musical mentors. Mm. And I'm specifically thinking of Gary yeah. Burton, for yeah. one, because uh, when I was in high school, uh, Gary's first guitarist was Larry Coryell, yeah. and then uh, subsequently Mick Goodrick, Pat Metheny, uh, John Schofield, yeah. and our guest today, <laughs> Julian That's Lodge. Right. Uh, so the the question is, there's so much to learn about being a professional musician beyond the notes on the fretboard, beyond how you hold right. a pick. It's how to conduct yourself, how to survive, right. how to how to have integrity. What if, how have these things come to you and who can you point to who have steered you in your development mm. in these realms? Well, I just want to underline how, what a good question that is, you know, because um, I feel very honored to be here today and talking about it. And, and I, what it makes me think of is that every guitar player has had, has thought about that. You know, whether it's conscious or unconscious of pursuing somebody who they, they, they just get the sense they're, that person could help them with a little bit of this or, or help with a lot of it. Um, but I, I just think the fact that we're talking about it is healthy because sometimes the, the rhetoric goes that it's every person for themselves and you're either great or you're not. And sorry, you know, <laughs> and my experience is yeah. there's no one who grows within the musical community and does wonderful things who isn't deeply connected to a whole network of mentors, teachers, uh, even their own students, you know, it really, it's, it, it's a community based thing. So I'm glad we're, talk, we're talking about it. Uh, you know, uh, simply put it all for me, stems from my family, my family is my parents, um, and siblings, you know, I'm the youngest of five, kids, I have three sisters and a brother, and they're all creative and do wonderful things and, and really badasses in their fields. And growing up, there was a sense in the family that, okay, if there's something you're interested in, we let's, let's help you f follow that, you know, and cultivate it. And I remember being young and just noticing that my parents always had a very clear uh, line of questioning, not for me, but about, okay, well, if you're into that, who should you study with? Okay, so we'll call that teacher on Monday. Okay, hey, can you, yeah, okay, do the thing, go take a lesson. I studied with someone for six months and along the way, I would realize who that person studied with. You know, they'd say, oh, they'd mention their teacher when they were growing up in the Bay Area. So my parents would say, well, let's, can we get their number? Okay, so who did you, let me, let's get a lesson with them. And it was this thing where it was a really, I, as I reflect on it now, it's a really delicate and effective way of being kind of mentored and nurtured. It's just facilitate asking the question, what needs to be done to make this thrive? And though I think that's kind of like, well, of course, that's that's how that's how it should work. It, it doesn't go that way a lot. I've, I've I've noticed. You know, it can say, well, you you could have a line of question that says, well, this is great. How do we let the most people know about it? You can say, this is great. Don't go further, how do we, how do we stop this and like almost uh, put it in a glass <laughs> case, you know? But this was always yeah, a line of question yeah. that said, well, okay, if someone at your level, what would they need and who do we ask? And if we don't know the answer, we'll find out. And it's, it's, it's like being a detective. So being a mentor and being, uh, mentorship and research are connected. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
this mm -hmm. this evolved and all the teachers I had growing up from uh, Robert Jones, the Bay Area, Chris Pimentel, Randy Vincent, of course. Um, I spent a summer in Boston studying with Mick Goodrick when I was around 13. That's when I first met him. Um, all of this kind of orbited two uh, like non-academic mentors for me. And the first being David Grisman, um, who I met when I was about 10 at a guitar show in uh, that one in uh, Marin. I met him. I knew his son, Monroe, because he worked at the local guitar store. And he said he kept talking about his dad. And I go, oh, yeah, my dad, you should be my dad. You should. I, I didn't know who his dad was. And then he said, my dad's going to be at the show. So I went and, oh, your dad's David Grisman. Cool. So we played and that was wonderful. And then David asked me to make my first recording, which was with him on a record called Dog Duos. And it was Grisman with a bunch of people. That, fast forward a couple of years is when Gary Burton saw me, uh, I was playing on the Grammys and he was in the audience for that particular telecast. So very old school, like he wrote me a letter and said, Hey, I saw you. I enjoyed it. I have a gig. Would you like to play with me? And the rest is history there in a way. So, um, as I reflect on it now, it's like the family unit, it's your actual teachers. And then they're, they're for in my case, there are these professional musicians who I really only interfaced with, um, through recordings and shows. And I just, I, I'm blown away about how, by how, <laughs> how complete and full featured that is as an education. It's incredible. Um, in other words, I don't take a second of that for granted. And I recognize that each one of those pieces painted the picture that you alluded to before of a complete person, someone who can comport themselves professionally, academically, um, within the family structure, um, and also just, I think just understanding, uh, and this is important to, to, to specify that, the, the goal was never to be famous or anything. It was more to be able to sustain a life of music. Like that's a, that's a different goal, I think, than, well, but how does this turn into a career? And how, I, I, none of that, it was just, to sustain the privilege of getting up and playing your guitar and having the space and time to do it, which to me is the old, such an ultimate privilege. What do we, you know, what do you do to, to protect that? And all those factions mm -hmm. help support it in different ways. Mm -hmm. As I was making a list of, of people you've, uh, older musicians uh, who you've played with, uh, another mm -hmm. name on this list I would love to hear you talk about is uh, your work with Fred Hirsch. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, he's yeah. one of my favorite piano players ever. And yeah. and and even going back to that record he did with Bill Frizzell, that's that's one of the first times where like I really felt like I got jazz, like I understood yeah. that there are these tunes, and then they play the melodies, and then they do this thing. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with Fred and and some things you've learned with him. Well, I want to second that. Say ditto. Fred is a master you know master master musician and and if uh you know i was a fan yeah i, I grew up in santa rosa you know california and healdsburg jazz festival was the looking back now is this very important festival not only for the region but just in the pantheon of great jazz festivals that presents really really special music uh started and run by jessica felix she she was friends with fred and fred used to play a lot in that area um, Fred's dad, I believe, lives in Healdsburg. So there was this, I, I was always kind of like, okay, 
Fred sounds amazing. I had that record with Frizzell. One day I'm going to get to him. Um, even though I was around him a lot at the festival, I, I was shy. I didn't say anything, you know. Fast forward many years, I was in college. I was going to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. I went to get coffee at the Starbucks across from New England Conservatory. I walk in, I saw Fred there, and I was I had some sort of courage. And I said, uh, Mr. Hirsch, I'm so sorry to bother you. My name's Julian Lodge. I... I, I uh, I'm a huge fan, and we have connections through Jessica Felix in the Hillsborough Jazz. He said, oh, I know, yeah, I know who you are. So, okay, cool. I said, well, I, I, the reason I'm bugging you is to, to pay my respects and also to ask for a lesson. And he said, well, I'd love to teach you, but my piano's getting worked on in New York this week, so you can't come, but how about I just let you know when it's fixed and you come for a lesson? I said, great. So... A month later, whatever it was, I go to New York, I get the email, he says, I'm ready, the piano's ready, come over. And I, I played, you know, he said, what do you want to study? We played something together, felt great. I think I played him a solo guitar piece, maybe, or a standard. And he said, well, you know, here's some things you could think about, you know, try adding more bass there and this and that. And then within short order, I want to say it was within like a week or two weeks, he said, I got a call from me. He said, hey, I've got this annual series at the jazz standard in New York where it's all duos and trios. Would you like to be one of my guests on one of the nights? It seemed like we had a good rapport. So I said, yeah, of course. So that then from then on, that started a long-term uh, collaboration. We, we, you know, piano and guitar famously, I think it's all lies, uh, but people <laughs> will say the piano and guitar don't work well together. And, uh, uh, for reasons I don't need to go into now, I think that's wrong. I think they, they work beautifully together. It's often, it's just finding the partner that you want to be with. Um, uh, but the sonorities are gorgeous. So Fred and I quickly realized we were after the same thing of like this piano guitar, like a big orchestral sound where I'm playing contrapuntally, he's playing contrapuntally, and it all just works out. Uh, in that case, per our topic today, the, the mentorship is so... Um, palpable you know because it's like come with me we're making music together be a part of my show feel what it's like to be in my orbit and from that very privileged place i always made it a point to ask a lot of questions you know so i would be with fred and i would notice that we're now playing the eighth song of the rehearsal of his that's just dropped in amazing <laughs> and that's the point where i go Fred, do you have any tips for writing this kind of song? Or, would, you know, what pencils do you use? You know, whatever it is. It's, 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 it's towing that line between being an equal, but also having a lot of, a lot of uh, humility and, and, and saying, I, I, I'm going to try to get everything out of this. Uh, and he, he remains one of my dearest friends and absolutely a mentor. What are your thoughts about, as you, uh, as you grow older, Julian, uh, <laughs> about passing these kind of ideas on and and becoming the mentor uh, well i i think that's part of the life cycle of any of, of for at least my life cycle you know it's like I, i've been the recipient of such generosity and kindness and good teaching and that in many respects is um a call to pay it forward mm -hmm. you know I, it, it wasn't for me alone you know what i mean the, the i always feel like these lessons that I've been around it there. I'm, I'm delighted when like, I'm if I'm teaching someone and they have a, something they're, 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 they're working through. And I remember hearing s someone I respect talk about that, not that same issue. And I can say, Oh my God, I feel like I was there 
to hear them say that to me so that I can help you, <laughs> you know? I'm starting to realize that that's, the, yeah. that's actually this, it's almost like I'm an aggregate for education. I, I just process a lot of it. I'm a nerd for it. I've seen a lot of good, I've witnessed a lot of really great teaching ability, you know? Like not, there's nothing to do, there's nothing about my, my um, propensity for it. I just, I've witnessed people crush it, you know, and just deliver, information in ways that transform a student you just go oh my god <laughs> that's what a te- that's what a master does so if nothing else i'm kind of a fan of great teachers and mm. it's fun to be able to share that with others and uh the fact that anyone would come to me to ask what i think is a i don't take for granted you know i think i take it's a privilege so um yeah mentorship is baked into the whole thing if you if you if you accept that you know um um, it definitely, it's, it doesn't come with a, um, any kind of power struggle. You know, I think there's, there's a notion when I was younger and it, to explain what I mean by that, that only the oldest and wisest and best people have the right to open their mouth and offer an opinion or a lesson. Um, I think I was just intimidated and that was my experience where I thought, no, 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 I can't, I can't share anything. I'm the student. I'm the kid. What do I have to say? But what I realized is that in education, there's a very coveted area or like you could say age range where there are, where young teachers who are striving to grow themselves, um, are also well suited to articulate the lessons they learned as a young person. And, and I, I recognize that I fall into that right now where um, I'm studying my butt off and I like to share, but I'm not trying to galvanize like a methodology. I, I have, you know, I, 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 have, I don't think I have any right to do that. That's, that's, that's why we go to Pat Martino and ask for a lesson. You know, that's why we go to, you know what I mean? It's like with humility. But I do recognize there's a certain agency that, that younger educators have um, that is worth exploiting. You know, mm-hmm. like, let's talk about it. Like, I'm struggling with it, too. Maybe I can lend a voice to something that someone else is. Great. Am I the end-all, be-all for anything? No, because it's still, I, I reserve the right to change my mind about all of these topics, you know, <laughs> as everyone should. Well, let's wrap up this episode with something you kind of alluded to there, is that you've been doing a lot of these town hall kind of online yeah. instructional things through your website, guitar.study. So tell me a little That's bit right. about that. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, for years I, I kind of avoided teaching uh, private lessons online. Um, not because I don't love teaching. I just always felt like I don't think anyone cares. You know, that was always my feeling. Like there's there's plenty of good resources, great teachers, great videos, and especially in the age of you know True Fire or Artist Works or Lessons in Premiere or in any magazine. It's like, there's resources. Um, but when everything shut down, I was like, okay, this is my chance. I want to do it, but I want to do it very specifically. And what grew out of it was a platform called Guitar Dust Study, where we host various teachers who teach private lessons, or group classes, or town halls. Town halls are these kind of larger form things um, that I've been hosting. Um, and there's a bit of a, a social activist tinge to it. So a portion of all the proceeds from everything that's sold through the site goes to different organizations that we're featuring at any given time. So currently it's uh, Women's Reproductive Rights in the South, uh, a wonderful organization that works with that, climate change and uh, dealing with systemic racism. And 
because of that connection, I think it attracts a certain type of teacher to be a part of the roster um, who has also maybe been thinking, yeah, how can these two connect? Um, but very quickly, it's become just a home for cool guitar stuff, and that's where it's headed. So guitar.study is, is my educational home right now, and I love it. So other than you and Margaret uh, Glasby, who else is on there? Well, Margaret has her own course. Her, her, all her work is through songwriting.study, which is incredible. Oh. She teaches, does something called mixtape seminars, which are incredible. These are kind of functioning like town halls with large groups of songwriters, and they uh, completely break down and analyze recorded music and show how to apply it to the craft of songwriting, in addition to private lessons that she offers. So go there for Margaret. Okay. That's the best. Uh, in addition to me, Chris Eldridge, Courtney Hartman, Becca Stevens, um, Tim Lurch, Paul Asbell, um, and uh, uh, oh, for, uh, Sulin Hagel, wonderful guitar player from the band um, uh, Propagandi. Oh, wow. Punk guitar yeah. player. Um, so anyway, so that's that's our Motley crew right now. And it's evolving. Oh, and um, um, Pete Lalish from the band Lucius. So it's kind of everyone has a different piece of mm. the guitar world in many respects. Um, and it's wonderful. Check it out. Oh, oh and the, 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 the newest component I almost forgot is Gerald Harsher. I'm, I'm a nerd for anatomy and body stuff. When I injured myself, Gerald Harsher was one of the people who helped me. He's a classical guitarist who teaches body mapping to basically for people with injuries mm. and he has a whole series he teaches through guitar.study so it's cool oh, it's kind of and it's growing we're working on a lot of new stuff now for it but um yeah may you know we're there for you if you want it oh well that that lineup sounds great but i'm telling you i don't know i, th I think that mixtape thing by margaret yeah. <laughs> like as a non-songwriter i'm like maybe that's my maybe that's my window i need to open Go, man, you know? go in. You will not be disappointed. Uh, She's She has an uncanny ability to do it beautifully. Well, thank you so much, Julian, for hanging with us this thank week. Thank you, guys. Man. Thank you so much. It's such a treat. I, I miss you guys. Yeah.